Welcome to the White Hatter Parenting in an Online World podcast. And on this podcast, we're going to be taking a more holistic approach to online safety in an enlightening and not frightening way based upon facts and not fear. We will provide parents and caregivers and educators with real world examples, experiences and evidence based research that will help to keep our kids safer emotionally, psychologically, physically and even socially when they are navigating today's online life world. Let's get after it, shall we? Well, welcome everyone. Darren with the White Hatter team and I am once again excited to be your host. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about an often hotly debated topic, that being online parental monitoring software. Now, this episode is not about telling you how to parent your child because you're the parent, not us. This podcast episode is all about bringing to your attention what we have seen to be the best practices when it comes to parenting in the online world. A caveat before we get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, this podcast is specific to monitoring software, but what about filtering software and is there a difference? Well, filtering software allows parents and caregivers to prevent youth from accessing specific websites, social media sites, apps, or to set specific restrictions like time limits. However, monitoring software allows parents and caregivers to see what a youth is doing online, like seeing their emails their text messages or viewing pictures and videos they are sending or receiving. Filtering is about restricting access for a specific reason, whereas monitoring is about viewing what your child is doing online, no matter what their access. Now, a question that often comes up in our parent presentations is, what are your thoughts about parental monitoring hardware and software solutions? First, and most importantly, the best solution to help cope with negative on-life challenges is always education combined with parental communication and participation. The best filter and monitor in the world is a child's brain, and that's why teaching good digital literacy is so important. However, the challenge, sometimes a youth's brain has not fully matured enough to deal with some of the challenges they could face online. And there is little doubt that filtering, monitoring hardware and software can act as an adjunct to parental communication and participation, but parents and caregivers should never treat it as a replacement. Also, just because we can monitor our child's activity online, the question is, should we? And that question is something we will speak to later in this podcast. Depending upon the age and risk factors, we believe that youth have no right to privacy from their parents online until such time as they can prove to us that they're being good on-life citizens. It's my opinion that once your child consistently demonstrates good on-life citizenship and digital maturity, then any use of filtering and monitoring software should be removed from their devices because your child has earned that right. Remember, mobile technology is not a right to have, it's a privilege to have. And if your child abuses that privilege, they need to know there will be reasonable and incremental consequences to their actions that will be immediately enforced by you as the parent unless they have a reasonable excuse. Again, this is something that we cover in our family collective agreement that you can find on our resource page on our website, which is www.thewhitehatter.ca. Now, specific to parental monitoring hardware and software, there are some child safety advocates that do not necessarily agree with our position on its use, and I respect their opinion. However, research and our experience has shown us that such filtering, monitoring, and parental overwatch, when used appropriately and reasonably, can help to reduce some of the risks associated to the online world. This is especially true for younger youth or youth who are at risk offline. 
Some will say that using filtering and monitoring software is encouraging parents to spy on their children. However, there's a difference between spying and monitoring. Spying takes place without knowledge. Monitoring takes place with full disclosure to the child that is being used. As fellow online safety advocate Richard Geary shared with us, and I quote, Monitoring is like walking past your teen's closed bedroom door and hearing something taking place on the other side of the door that causes you some concern. Other than in exigent circumstances, we don't just barge in. We knock on the door, we wait for the invite, then we walk into the bedroom and discuss what we heard. Spying is like standing outside of the same closed bedroom door and looking through a keyhole without the other person's knowledge to see what is going on inside, end quote. Now, we do not promote spying, but rather we promote informed monitoring. There is a difference. Another important principle, use monitoring and filtering tools to provide teachable moments to your kids rather than as a punishment tool. Remember, adolescent brains are not fully developed, so they are going to make mistakes in the on-life world. Where reasonable and appropriate to do so, use these mistakes as teachable moments. And this is where informed monitoring can definitely help us as parents. Parenting tip, given that you as the parent have likely signed the terms of service for the internet access in your home or on your child's mobile device, the internet service provider is registering a parent's information and metadata whenever the internet is accessed and not the child's. Therefore, monitoring software also allows the parent to protect their digital dossier. Now, what about a child's right to privacy online? It is important for everyone to know that we are huge supporters of on-life privacy for both youth and adults. We actually speak to youth internationally on this topic given our belief that we are slowly giving up our actual rights to personal privacy to social media vendors and apps in exchange for the convenience of using the internet and the use of free social media sites and apps. Remember, we are their inventory and not their clients or customers. And because of this fact, we speak to students on how to minimize their digital dossiers and maximize their privacy on line. Now, how many of you who are listening have been confronted by your child because you want to monitor their, their online activity and they state to you, you're violating my privacy or it's my diary. Now, as mentioned, we have stated for years now that our kids have no right to privacy from parents and or legal caregivers when it comes to their online world, but they can earn that right by showing parents good digital citizenship and digital maturity over time. We, when we share this message with parents and caregivers, often we are asked the question, what do we say to our kids when they confront us with the argument that we are violating their privacy or it's my diary, especially when it comes to monitoring their online activity? Well, here are some of our thoughts. Number one, specific to the privacy issue, and as already mentioned, there is no privacy law in Canada that supports a child's right to privacy from their parent or legal caregiver. There are some exceptions specific to child doctor or child lawyer communications, but nothing specific to their activities online. It has been our experience that youth use the word invasion in the hopes that the parent will evade the interpersonal conflict associated with the implementation of reasonable parental overwatch. This often works because many parents just don't want to deal with conflict. This is something that we like to call being your child's best friend rather than being their best parent. Remember, being your child's best friend can often enable less than desirable online behavior, especially at younger ages. Enabling can result in dangerous or damaging behavior. Number two, specific to It's My Diary, diaries are meant to be read by one person only, the author. Once something is posted online, no matter what the privacy settings, it can now become public and permanent, searchable, exploitable, copyable, shareable, and maybe even publicly marketable by anyone. 
When youth post online, it's not a digital diary, but rather a public digital dossier that can be seen by all, there is definitely a difference. Number three, until such time as the child has their own device that is paid for by them and they are paying for their own internet access, then any of their online activities become a legal liability risk to the parent or caregiver in the first instance. If there was some form of criminal activity by the child, you know, threats, intimidation, or non-consensual distribution of intimate images, to name a few, then the police will be issuing a search warrant on the parent or caregiver whose IP address the device is registered to uh, via their internet service provider. Now, by proxy, the privacy of the parent and their online activity is now at issue, not the child's. As well, if the child is posting content that is clear violation of an internet service provider's terms of service, home internet access can also be cancelled by the internet service provider, which now means that no one, including parents, will have internet access. As you can imagine, this can be very problematic for parents, especially those who are working remotely from home or paying bills via the internet. Parenting tip. As soon as we allow our children to access the internet, we have increased our responsibility as parents to mentor, reasonably monitor, and become our child's digital sheepdog online until such time as they are digitally mature and earn their right to privacy or move out of the home. Remember, our job is to be our child's best parent and not their best friend. There is a difference. Is the child going to like the fact that you will be taking reasonable monitoring steps? No. Oh, well. That's what makes us parents. And sometimes we parents have to say and do things that our kids aren't going to like. Having said all this, it is also very important to explain the reasons why. Just saying because I said so or I'm the parent and you're not without explaining explanation is not recommended when it comes to teaching digital literacy and understanding. Will you still get pushback from your kids? Yep. Welcome to becoming a parent. But at least you did your due diligence in explaining the why. Now, just because we can monitor our kids' online behavior, the question is, should we? As I stated earlier in this podcast, we believe youth do not have the right to privacy from parents and caregivers in their own life world, but they can earn their privacy by showing us good digital literacy and maturity over time. Again, it should be noted, in Canada and the United States, there is no law or legal precedent that makes it illegal for a parent or caregiver to monitor their child's activities online. However, even though there is no such law, should parents and caregivers be doing so is the question. I believe for youth under the age of 13 years, parents should be monitoring their child's use of technology, the internet, and social media. In fact, a 2021 Canadian research paper by the EqualityProject.ca found that those under the age of 13, and I quote, see parents as an important part of their privacy infrastructure because parents help them steer clear of online pitfalls, end quote. And this is what parental monitoring hardware and software can assist us with. This Canadian research also found for those under the age of 13, and I quote, At this life stage, sharing the same online spaces with parents can accordingly facilitate privacy and autonomy because parents can help children learn how to make their own choices. They do this by teaching their child how to assert boundaries around their online lives so that their children can actively manage invasive behaviors on the part of ill-intentioned online actors. This in turn creates a manageable field of choices for young children who can then navigate the online environment in ways that make sense to them. In this case, privacy and autonomy are not so much about being left alone. Instead, they are cultivated through respectful and supportive social relationships with parents, end quote. 
Given the above noted, it is very rare that parents will receive pushback from youth 13 years and under when it comes to parental monitoring software. Where parents do get pushback, with teens between the ages of 13 to 17 years, especially when it comes to parental online monitoring. Often we will hear from this age group that parents have no right to monitor what they are doing in their online world. Reflectively, this makes sense to us given that at these ages, youth are starting to spread their wings and looking for autonomy from their parents so that they can develop their own identities. Again, the 2021 Canadian research that I just mentioned stated, and I quote, this requires a certain amount of privacy from the family, so teens can interact with peers and experiment with different and new roles. From this perspective, privacy is not about control over personal information nor solely about being left alone. It is about being able to assert appropriate boundaries between a young person's various social roles and relationships. Privacy is violated when these boundaries are breached, end quote. Parenting tip. There are some who misrepresent privacy laws in an attempt to dissuade or shame parents from taking reasonable steps to parent their children through the use of monitoring software. To be very clear, here in Canada and the United States, there is no law that prohibits a parent or caregiver from monitoring their child's online activity. None. Now, what about protection via monitoring versus digital literacy education and on-life participation? In a 2020 report from Media Smarts Canada, they found that parents were so concerned about their child's safety online, they felt like they needed to constantly monitor what their child was doing online, no matter what their age, to keep them safe. Again, this doesn't surprise us given the fact that parents and caregivers are constantly being bombarded in the media with messaging surrounding how dangerous technology and social media can be to their child's emotional, psychological, physical, and social well-being. Yes, there are dangers online, something that we discuss with both parents and teens in many of our presentations and other episodes here on our podcast. But the same can be true for the offline world as well. In fact, research has shown youth who are vulnerable offline are more likely to encounter multiple risks online. Now, based upon our experience in presenting to over half a million teens from across Canada and the United States, there are far more positive and creative things youth are doing online than there are negative. But these positive things get nowhere near the media coverage as the negatives do. This is why we believe that digital literacy education and parental online participation and commu communication with youth in all age brackets is so important and can go a long way in decreasing, not fully in eliminating, but decreasing a parent's fear when it comes to their child's participation in the on-life world. We also know through research, parents who engage with their children in their on-life world via parental communication and parental participation, parental monitoring, these youth are far less likely to find themselves in a less than desirable situation online. More importantly, some great research out of Great Britain specific to a use online exposure to risk stated, and I quote, Exposure to risk seems to play an essential role in the development and manifestation of online resilience. Although many parents worry about risk, some risky experiences give young people the chance to develop ways of coping that can minimize or prevent experiences of harm in the future. If we regard coping as itself a form of digital literacy, this finding can help explain the common finding that digital literate young people encounter more risks online than their less digitally literate peers. 
Now, to compound this message further, the 2021 Canadian research again that I mentioned earlier stated, and I quote, However, our qualitative research suggests that when parents do respect their teens' privacy and trust them to exercise their autonomy in a mature way, teens have the space they need to use network media in creative ways and come to parents for help when they need it, end quote. Another recent concern surrounding monitoring your software? As technology platforms continue to develop their privacy policy in terms of service, there's a real risk that many of these third-party software monitoring tools will become obsolete and no longer be functional specific to their intended use. Case in point, the NetSanity app. NetSanity was a well-established, multi-award-winning parental monitoring software application for both Apple and Android devices, and a, pro and a product that we did recommend to parents were appropriate and reasonable to do so. However, recently, NetSanity is no longer in business. Why? NetSanity has not provided a public announcement as to the why, but it has been hypothesized by many in our field that the new privacy settings and restrictions in the updated Apple iOS software would no longer allow NetSanity's product to work as effectively as it did in the past. This made funding the company problematic for investors. In fact, we spoke to a highly respected parental monitoring software representative who stated to us, and I quote, Apple and Google have killed this space for the most part. Their guidelines have become so strict, end quote. This expert, as we do, believe that such third-party monitoring software for both Apple and Android products will likely cease to exist in the future. For parents who solely depend upon third-party monitoring software to keep their child safe without combining it with parental communication, parental participation, and digital literacy, will be at a significant disadvantage when it comes to keeping their child safer in the on-life world. This is why we recommend choosing age-appropriate tech products, such as the Pinwheel phone or the Tenoshi computer, instead of using monitoring software. These products do not depend upon another vendor's privacy settings, restrictions, or terms of service. So let's talk about monitoring software that we recommend. Before we drill down into this part of the podcast, I wish to quote Chelsea Brown from Digital Mom Talk who stated, and I quote, parents think they need to control their children and that's actually a misconception. We have this myth because security tools were not designed to be parental controls. They were advanced security settings and some marketers came in and said, we're gonna make these parental controls. So for parents, I tell them, you need to shift from controlling your child to focus on controlling the device. Because if you try to control your child through the device, you are going to end up with the tech battle, which is where you lay down the law, set some rules, give them the device, and they're eventually going to screw up. And when they do, your response is naturally to take the device away. That's sometimes needed, but then after a while, parents give the device back without teaching proper use, and then the cycle repeats, and you're going to be in this constant battle. End quote. We like this approach from Chelsea Brown. We do not promote a product unless we test it first. The product on this list have passed our testing and evaluation, thus we feel comfortable promoting them in this podcast. Given that these products will be used on a child's device, we wanted to also ensure that the products recommended are not collecting a child's personal information and selling it to third parties like Google or Facebook, which to the best of our investigation, they do not. So when it comes to protecting devices in the home, like computers, laptops, gaming consoles, tablets, iPads, and cell phones, we recommend the following hardware and software. Number one, the Griffin router. 
We what we like about this product, it's an actual powerful router that can cover a home to a maximum of about 3,000 square feet. This router was specifically designed to have malware and virus protection, port protection to prevent external attacks on the home network, pornography filters, and parental controls all packaged into one unit. It is a simple plug and play to set up using a free admin mobile app that comes with the product. Griffin allows the family to create folders for each child so that you can create protection and filtering to meet the specific needs of each child. It also allows for screen time limits, content filtering, and usage history. Any device that uses Wi-Fi to connect to the internet will have to use the Griffin router to gain access. Griffin also comes with a mobile app called Homebound that can be downloaded to an Apple or Android device so that when your child leaves the home with their phone, the same safety, security, and privacy functions in the home Griffin router will immediately be applied to their phone when they're outside using it either via Wi-Fi or using their data. The price tag is about $279 US to purchase, but for smaller homes, you can also purchase a Griffin Guardian for about $79 US. A link to the Griffin capabilities can be located in the podcast notes. The second product is what's called Boomerang. And Boomerang is primarily designed for Android and Galaxy devices. Available in both Canada and the United States, Boomerang advertises that it works with the Galaxy and Android phone, as well as all Apple iOS products, but like I said, it's primarily designed for the Android. In our testing, we found it was best suited for the Android market. Boomerang is an app-based product that also comes with a robust browser called Spin, which does a good job at filtering out issues surrounding pornography, drugs, alcohol, hate, and other less than desirable issues. The cost for the Boomerang app is only $15 to $30 per year, depending upon your family needs. And again, the link to the Boomerang app is, will be in the podcast notes. The third product we recommend is Bark, and again, Bark can be used on both the iPhone and the Android, but at this time, Bark is only available in the United States, so for the US listeners, this would apply to you, but they hope to have it as an option in Canada soon. On their site, Bark states, Bark helps families manage and protect their children's online lives. Bark monitors 30 of the most popular apps and social media platforms that are popular with youth, including text messaging and email. Bark also offers screen time management and web filtering tools to help parents to set healthy limits around how and when your kids use their device. Often parents will ask us if Bark will monitor Snapchat. Yes, it does, but given Snapchat's design, it does not provide as deep of an insight as it does with the other messaging apps, so you won't see any kind of messages or pictures being sent via Snap. One of the criticisms of Bark is that it can be quite intrusive specific to privacy, which we believe may be reasonable in some circumstances. Bark is also reactive rather than proactive. In other words, you only get a notification after something has been sent. Now, the price tag is approximately $14 per month or $168 per year, depending upon the product choice. And again, the link to Bark is in our podcast notes. The fourth option is actually using the native parental device controls. Don't forget, for most Apple iOS, uh, they have robust parental controls that can be found under the screen time tab on your device. Or for Android devices, uh, we recommend the use of Google Family Link would be our recommendation. The fifth recommendation is an app, a messaging app that we call Kinzu, which, which can work on all platforms. And although not primarily designed as a monitoring and filtering app, 
Kinzu is the best private and secure messaging app on the market designed for both preteens and teens, which is fully scaffolded by parents. Think of Kinzu as training wheels for preteens and their parents. Other messaging apps like Facebook Messenger for Kids or WhatsApp are owned by companies where it is reasonable to expect that they are collecting personal information about your child's online behavior for their financial benefit. Kinzu does not do this. Price tag? It's free to download with in-app purchases that only a parent can purchase. And again, links to Kinzu will be in the podcast notes. Now, parents often ask us when it comes to monitoring options, what we would choose if we had the choice. My answer, it depends upon the needs of your specific family and how much money you're willing to spend. Remember, there is not a one-size-fits-all solution given that every family is unique. Specific to this issue, you can connect with us for free consultation via our website, which is again www.thewhitehatter.ca, to help you make a decision that best suits your family needs. So don't be afraid to connect with us. Specific to monitoring hardware and software, I like to quote Ann Collier, a well-respected social media safety and digital literacy advocate who stated, and I quote, While tools ranging from content filters to routers and firewalls and anti-malware have their place, they are not a substitute for the lifelong protection process provided by critical thinking. The best technological filter is not the one that runs on a device, but rather the software that runs in our heads. So true. Parenting tip. It is important that parents know that sometimes the above-noted hardware and software solutions do not necessarily work well together. It is important that you check with each manufacturer to make sure that they are compatible to be used with one another. So what are the takeaways from today's podcast? Number one, youth have no right to privacy from parents or caregivers, but they can earn that right over time by showing us good digital literacy and digital maturity. Number two, for youth who are 13 and under, parents should be engaging with their children in their online world via parental communication, parental participation, digital literacy education, and the reasonable use of parental monitoring and hardware and software mentioned in this episode. Number three, for youth over the age of 13, as your child is showing maturity and good digital literacy, we believe that they can earn their privacy from parents and monitoring software should be phased out in an incremental process. However, Continued online parental communication and parental participation are a must when it comes to the continued parental protection process. Number four, no matter what the age, if your child is truly vulnerable and at risk offline or online, then the research supports the fact that parental monitoring is a reasonable option when it comes to the continued parental protection process. Number five, there is a real risk that over the next couple of years, many of the most popular third-party monitoring applications that are being sold to parents today will become obsolete given that they will no longer be congruent with the privacy requirements and guidelines implemented by both Apple and Google. This is another reason why teaching youth about good digital literacy combined with parental participation and communication is so important in keeping our kids safer in their online world. Remember, the use of parental monitoring software and hardware in isolation without a dedicated effort to parental communication, parental participation, and digital literacy education will fail in keeping you safer online. Ultimately, the choice to use monitoring software and hardware on a youth device is a parent's decision which can differ from family to family and child to child based upon a variety of factors mentioned in this podcast. Any decision as a parent or caregiver make, may make comes with risks and consequences. However, we believe that it's all about a balanced approach to risk management that is important, especially when it comes to development and manifestation of youth online resilience, a skill needed throughout life. 
We hope that this podcast will provide parents and caregivers with some information to help in this decision process. However, it is our suggestion that just because we can use parental monitoring and software and hardware doesn't mean that we should in all cases. As we always say in all our parent and caregiver programs, be your child's best parent and not their best friend when it comes to their online world. There is a difference. However, to do this, parents and caregivers need to educate themselves as well. And this is what this podcast was all about. Remember, parents, you are not alone on this digital journey. We are here to help. And don't forget to check out our website at www.thewhatter.ca and our White Hat Facebook page, where there's just a ton of free content to help parents and caregivers parent in today's online world. As well, on our website, we outline all the programs that we offer to schools, families, youth groups, and even businesses when it comes to social media safety and digital literacy. Stay strong. Be that mentor and digital sheepdog. And from the White Hatter team, thank you for listening. And until our next podcast, have a great week, everyone.